You're listening to an audio message from Palm Vista Community Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit palmvista.org. Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series in the letter of 1 Timothy. This letter was written in the first century by the Apostle Paul to a pastor named Timothy who pastored a church in Ephesus. Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey, and so Paul was giving uh, Timothy instructions, God's instructions by the Holy Spirit on how to build the church in Ephesus, and those instructions are good for us today here at Palm Vista Community Church in Miami Lakes. We've entitled this series, Blueprints, God's Plan for Building His Church. Blueprints, God's Plan for Building His Church. And this morning's sermon is entitled Gospel Life, Gospel Life. And the text is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 to 15. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 to 15. Over the years, if you've lived in Florida, you've seen a certain bumper sticker that demonstrates a way of life and actually these days demonstrates a company that promotes that way of life through its products. And that bumper sticker is very simple. It's two words, salt life. Have you seen that? Salt life. You may not know this, but that name and that image, salt life, was developed by two working class guys in Jacksonville, Florida around the year 2004. These guys were hardworking blue collar guys. And they, they worked very hard during the day. But what they lived for was salt life. They coined that phrase. That phrase described all that they loved and all that they lived for. Primarily, it coined their lifestyle there on the St. John's River up in Jacksonville and along the ocean there on the northeast coast of Florida. It coined the life that they loved of surfing and fishing and paddleboarding or just hanging out at the ocean with family, with friends cool ocean breeze on their face. Salt life described the lifestyle they loved, the lifestyle they lived for, and it defined who they are. Gospel life defines who we are as Christians. If you're a Christian, gospel life is what defines you. Gospel life is the lifestyle of a Christian. Gospel life is what we've been given in Christ. Gospel life is what we've been entrusted by God here in 1 Timothy to live out in community. Here are the instructions for us to live our gospel life so that the world can see it. It's not a bumper sticker that we put on our car. We are the bumper sticker for people to see. And ask, gospel life? What kind of life is that? And we could tell them, it's the life that God has given us in Christ. It describes who we love, what we love to do. It defines us. And today, God is giving us instructions how to live that gospel life together in community. This gospel life back in the first century, was being threatened by wrong teaching, wrong doctrine. 
So these false teachers were teaching a false doctrine that were causing the people in the church to live something other than the gospel life. For men, it was tempting them to engage in quarrels and argument with lots of anger. These false teachers were teaching myths that just stirred up vain discussions. And it was disturbing the unity of the church. For the women, these false teachers were teaching them to disregard God's creation ordinances. To reject the roles that God had given women, both at home, certainly in the church, and even in society. What was at stake What was at stake then and what is at stake today is this gospel life that God has entrusted you and me with. If you're a believer, if you're a member here at Palm Vista or you've been attending for quite a while, he's entrusted us with this gospel life that that can be summarized in chapter one by a life of love for God and for our neighbor out of a heart that is pure, a conscience that is good, and a faith that is sincere. This gospel life is something that we live together because Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, among whom we are the foremost. And so he saved us, and he's gathered us together here in the church to live out gospel life. It's this this life that Jesus redeemed us to. Or as we said last week, he ransomed us. He paid the ransom, the debt we couldn't pay, that our sins deserved death, wrath of God, eternal separation from God's benevolence. He ransomed us from that on the cross. He died on the cross. By the way, if you're a guest, this is the gospel. Love to talk to you about it if you have any questions afterwards. If you're a believer, this is the gospel that we rejoice in. He ransomed us, took that penalty on the cross, but then he also ransomed ransomed us to God. He ransomed us to a new life, to a gospel life. Not paddle boarding and surfing and fishing on the ocean per se, but loving that like those men love the salt life. So the gospel life is loving God, gathering with God's people, wanting to worship God in spirit and in truth, wanting to image Jesus and our character begins to be changed so that we look more and more like Jesus together as a body and then making disciples with the gospel life, just like the salt life want to make disciples who will buy their products, put their bumper stickers on their cars. But they they do it because they love that life. They love the fish. They love the paddleboard. They love to surf. They they love the salt air in their face. So they're just saying, hey, this is what we love. If you love it too, here, buy our products. (laughs) How much greater with the gospel life? We say, God has saved us. We're living for something bigger than us. We're living for something that is eternal. We have been given the purpose that mankind was made for. That is to worship God, to image Christ and to make disciples, gospel life. So what God does here in this text, particularly this morning, is give us instructions for how we live out gospel life together in community. And the context of these instructions are how men and women live out gospel life in community as they relate to one another and as they relate to God. 
So, let us read God's instructions, shall we, on how to, read, how to live gospel life. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 to 15. This is God's word, his eternal word, his authoritative word. Read it with me. Look on with someone else if you don't have it. These are the most important words you're going to hear today. God speaking now. 1 Timothy 2.8. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. These words are God's blueprints for building his house. We are that house. We are the household of God. I can say that because later on in this letter, God tells us in 1 Timothy 3.15 that these words are his instructions to build his house where his truth is not only declared with our lips, but it's demonstrated with our life. Gospel life demonstrated in how we live in community. On the screen, 1 Timothy 3.15. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. What's at stake here is God's name, his honor, the truth about who he is and what he has done. Now trust me, it's not up to us. It is up to God. But this is what is at stake when God saved you and joined you with me and the rest of the people around you to form his church. God has called us to live the gospel life the way he ordains it to be lived so that people would know the truth about him. He will fulfill his call on us. That is a call to worship him, to image Christ, and to make disciples with the gospel. So the, the thesis of this passage this morning, the main point of our text this morning is very simple on the screen. Live out God's gospel life in community. Live out God's gospel life in community. So what does that look like for you as a man and for you as a woman? God's very specific in this text. He speaks to both men and women what it looks like for us as a community to live out his gospel life to the watching world so that his name is honored and glorified. His will is going to be done. It will be done. And these are the instructions how we're to live that out as his household of faith, the pillar and support of truth. Basically, here are the instructions. Men, he calls us to live out the gospel life together in community 
by praying without anger or quarreling. And ladies, he calls you to live out the gospel life by adorning yourself with the gospel of the, and the good works that proceed from that gospel in Christ Jesus. So let's look at the men first, then we'll look at the ladies. Point one, men, pray without anger or quarreling. Now, you have to remember the context here. In the first century, there were false teachers that were teaching wrong doctrine that was contrary to the gospel. Basically, Jewish myths, they misunderstood the law. But the bottom line is that these myths, this wrong doctrine, was stirring up dissension and arguing and anger and quarreling. And so God is teaching his church, he's teaching us how to worship him according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, according to the truth that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom we are the foremost, according to the truth that Christ Jesus came into this world as, as a mediator between God and man to give himself as a ransom for us. So therefore, he's saying to the men in the church, when you gather together throughout the city of Ephesus, in every place, gather together to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Now the holy hands represent holy lives. They represent what God has done in your life to cleanse you in Christ Jesus. That's that ransom that Jesus ransomed you from sin and death and the wrath of God, and he ransomed you to God to give you a new life. So he's saying when you gather together to pray, lift up holy hands, pray from the holy life that you have in Christ, and when you pray, do so without anger or quarreling. Because you see, anger or quarreling do not display the gospel life. They display the non-gospel life. See, as men who have been redeemed by Christ, ransomed by Christ, we know God's forgiveness, therefore we're to live in that forgiveness. We know God's mercy, therefore we're to give mercy to others. So when we gather together, men, we gather together to pray, to worship. See, this, these are instructions for how God's people worship together in community. That's what this is. So, so guys, how does that apply to us? Well, I believe it applies to us that, first of all, we gather together. I think God calls us as men to be there, to lead, to, to walk in reality in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that our identity is in what God has done for us. We are identified. Our gospel life is in what Christ has done for you. So I come to that meeting with holy hands, representing a heart and a soul and a mind that loves God above all else and loves my neighbor as myself. I know we don't do it perfectly, but we come by faith and we lift up those holy hands, those, those lives that are made holy, and we pray together and we do so with graciousness and love and without quarreling. Guys, these are, this is God's instructions to you and me on how we can display the gospel life in community. Point two, ladies, God calls you to display and live out the gospel life in community by adorning yourselves with good works befitting godliness. 
So in verse 9, if you look at it, this word adorn, likewise also their women should adorn themselves. That word adorn is a counterpart to the word pray in verse 8. So God says, I desire for men to pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. That's how you live out the gospel life in community. And I desire women to adorn themselves with the good works that are befitting a godly woman. Look at verse 10. But with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So God is calling you, ladies, because of what Christ has done to ransom you, to adorn yourself with the good works that are appropriate to the godliness that God has given you in Christ. He's given you a new life in contrast to the life of this world. Now remember, the false teachers with their false doctrine were teaching things that were encouraging women at that time to reject God's gospel, to reject God's creation order. The teachings of these false teachers were tempting women to to reject how God has called them to live in their homes if they're married, in society, and in the church. Basically, to throw off what God has said their roles are. And so, and so Paul is saying, don't live that way, but rather live as godly women. And notice the contrast here between verse 9 and 10. Likewise also, verse 9, that women should adorn themselves in respectable attire, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. So here's the contrast. You ready, ladies? Represented by clothing, you have respectable apparel, you have modesty, you have self-control. This is gospel life. Live your life according to this heart that is that is converted, that that has been ransomed by Christ. This this modesty that it's being spoken of here goes far, far beyond simply one's hemlines, but it goes to one's heart lines. It, it, It speaks of a life that has been redeemed and is lived unsubmission to and under the gospel of Jesus Christ versus... The woman in 9b who dresses with braided hair, gold or pearls or costly attire. Simply speaking, in that day, women that would dress that way are saying, I reject God's creation ordinances. I reject God's roles given in scripture. And so Paul is saying, live as the godly women that you are, Live to adorn the gospel. Live with a quiet heart, a peaceful, quiet, gentle spirit. Now, Peter, in his letter, uses the same word adorn. Listen to what he has to say. 1 Peter 3, 4 on the screen. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. 
Notice, the men are not to be angry or quarrel. The women are to have a gentle, quiet spirit. What does that mean? Does that mean that every woman has to have a personality type that is very peaceful and quiet and barely, you can barely hear their voice, they never really are loud or anything like that? No. A thousand times no. What that's speaking to, ladies, is inside your soul, are you trusting God? It's the difference between the woman who braids her hair, metaphorically speaking, puts on the gold and the pearls, and is sort of rebelliously, frantically, trying to make her way in this world, trying to rule her world, trying to, to be what she, and get what she wants and be what she wants and is just boisterous and loud and out there because she doesn't trust God. Versus the woman who in her soul is quiet because she's resting in God. And that woman could be a very loud, funny woman. She can be a woman that's got lots of energy. Absolutely. It's what's inside. Why are you doing what you're doing? Is it because you're trying to control things? You're trying to be God? You're trying to dominate? You're trying to make your will be done? Because you don't trust that God's in control. If I don't take over, if I don't tell everybody what to do and have every single detail down perfectly and everybody does it exactly like I want to do it, things are... Versus... Oh, I have a plan, but I trust God and I can calmly share my plan and God will be the one whose will is done. And, and I trust God in these matters. I truly believe that's what he's saying here. And, and I believe it's analogous. Guys, we're not to be angry or quarrel and dominate, try to dominate. Ladies, you're not to be in your hearts, kind of pushing and frantic, maybe a little manipulative, not trusting. But, but as we are kind and gentle as men and leading, and as ladies, you trust God and are working hard and are submissive to the Lord and, and in your homes as God calls you to be submissive to your husbands and in church, submissive to the leadership of the church, both men and women. And as we trust God, then the gospel life shines like these lights. But the moment we choose to do it our own way, the light of the gospel would go out, not go out, but be dimmed as if these, if these lights went out. Do you remember back in the day before we had these lights? It was very hard to see us. So maybe you prefer to go back to those days, I don't know. <laughs> it's good. I am getting older, aren't I? <laughs> but what's at stake is in we, when we reject these instructions, the light is dimmed on who Jesus is. Now, remember I told you it's not up to us. You got that, right? And if the light goes out here, it will not go out on earth because God always has his people. But don't you want to be part of those people whose lights shine brightly on us? I think that's what he's saying here. In fact, I know that's what he's saying here. 
And so what does that look like, ladies? Well, this adorning with this godliness, these good works in verse 10, the way that works its way out here in this text is seen in verses 11 to 14. Remember, the false teachers are telling women, you don't need men at all. Certainly don't submit to men, not even your husband. And you can teach in the church. And you can rule in the church. And, it, and it just like the men were being tempted to be angry and quarreling and divisive and you know, hateful to each other, so the women would be tempted here. And what was happening is the gospel, like the lights were going down on the gospel. The lights were going down on what Christ looks like because the church in Ephesus was the body of Christ. And the world is going, that's what the body of Christ looked like? Well, you're, you, ladies, you look just like the ladies of the world, the braided hair and the gold and the pearls and all that. I don't see a difference. I mean, you talk about heaven, but you kind of live like hell. And guys, you, you, you talk about Jesus Christ, but you just mean. You're talking gospel, you're talking you know, doctrine, but you argue and you're just, you're just, just nasty, self-righteous. So God writes to them and said, it's, it's a gentle heart. Listen to verse 11. Listen to verse 11. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. This is that gentle and quiet spirit. This, that, that word with all submissiveness is a hinge. It, it's how the woman is to learn. And then it tells us in verse 12 that God says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. See that word quiet, quiet, quiet. It's not speaking of your personality, ladies. It's speaking of what's in your heart. Do you trust God? Even in that Peter uh, passage, She's writing about Sarah, who trusted God and submitted to her husband. And if you read that story, her husband actually didn't lead her very well. Twice her husband told Sarah to tell certain kings that Sarah was his sister because he was afraid the king would kill him if he found out Sarah was his wife. And he exposed her to possibly being taken advantage of by this king. But twice God preserved Sarah's integrity. So the point is, I trust you, Lord, even though the man that I'm following right now is less than perfect. Just like I'm less than perfect in how I follow. There's the gospel. There's gospel life. We trust Jesus. And, and, and these prohibitions for women in teaching and exercising authority in the church are based on creation ordinance. You see, look at verse 12. Excuse me, 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. So what God is saying is, I am developing these creation ordinances. Adam was formed first, then Eve. Eve was formed, when you read the text, to be a helpmate to Adam. Therefore, Adam and Eve were equal in worth. When you read the Genesis account, it says that Adam and Eve both imaged God equally, male and female. But God's will was to form Adam first, and then out of Adam's rib, he formed Eve. So therefore, ladies, be submissive as an equal. Be submissive as an equal. If you're married to your husband, be submissive as an equal in the church to the men that will be leading and preaching in mixed audience. And then he does something interesting. He says the consequences of the first woman violating this creation order was disastrous. Look at verse 14. 
And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now, if you know, if you know the story of the fall, you can't say that Adam wasn't a transgressor. But God is inspiring Paul to write it in such a way as to get the woman's attention. And I believe what he's saying to the woman is this. When Eve usurped God's order and sought to teach and exercise authority over Adam, this ended in her being deceived and a transgressor. And not only her, but all mankind. Certainly Adam transgressed as well. But when Eve chose to be the teacher and exercise her authority over Adam, interesting, the serpent came to Eve because he... The serpent's always going to rebel against God's creation order. So instead of going to Adam, who's the head, to whom God had given the authority and said, please teach your your wife, you're both equal, but in the roles, please teach her. He went to Eve. Eve then became the teacher and the authority. Adam, of course, sinned by going along with it. I'm not absolving Adam at all. But what God is saying to the ladies is, God is saying, listen, don't duplicate Eve's sin by trying to teach and exercise authority in the church over men, for it will end up poorly for the church, but rather trust God and submit to his goodwill in creation. The gospel will shine forth from you as you do that. You will live the gospel life in a way that is faithful to who God is. Douglas Moo in his commentary on this text said the following, Eve was deceived by the serpent in the garden, precisely in taking the initiative over the man whom God had given to be with her and to care for her. In the same way, if the women at the church at Ephesus proclaim their independence from the men of the church, refusing to learn in quietness and full submission, seeking roles that have been given to men in the church, they will make the same mistake Eve made and bring similar disaster on themselves and the church. Now this text ends... With hope. It ends in verse 15, quite frankly, a verse that is very difficult to interpret. I'm just going to be right up front honest with you. There's kind of two ways to look at this verse, but look at it with me. Verse 15. Yet she will be saved through childbearing. What in the world does that mean? Does that mean that only women who bear children can be saved? No. So I think... This first interpretation is the one that I believe is is probably the the majority interpretation. I would believe this one. I think he's referring back to the fall. And right after the fall, when, when God is judging the serpent, he says to the serpent, the seed of the woman will step on the head and crush the head of the seed of the serpent. Now, as Christians, we know that that seed of the woman is a prophetic word. It's the first gospel that we see in Scripture pointing to Jesus Christ, who will be born thousands of years later. He's that seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. He did that on the cross. He did that through his resurrection from the dead. And so I think that that salvation is speaking of the gospel. I think that's a gospel reference there. But I think it can also speak, ladies, to the fact that if, if you are saved then your life will be adorned with those good works and you will embrace God's creation ordinance and you will embrace God's role for you. Ladies, there is a way that you reflect the gospel that is so beautiful, so different than how we men can reflect the gospel. And let me share with you how. 
In the Trinity, in the Godhead, what is called the Godhead, you have one God, three persons. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We are Trinitarian. We are Christians. We are Orthodox Christians. Therefore, we believe that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are equally God. They're equal in being. They are equal. And yet, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, submitted to the Father. When he was on earth, he said, I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. So ladies, you have a beautiful way to shine the gospel, a spotlight on your life when you willingly submit to male leadership. If you're married, your husband at home or here in the church, however flawed we are and boy, are we flawed. But when you do that, when you do that with faith, when you do that with patience, when you do that with humility, with holiness. This is that, these are those good works that befit the godliness that Christ has given you. The gospel, gospel life shines out. It shines out. Yes, it's super countercultural. I got you. That's why my mouth is so dry right now. <laughs> but oh, it's kingdom culture. And it will bless you. Listen, ladies. And it will bless this church. And ladies, it will shine forth God's purpose. And ladies, you are strong. You are strong women. Any weak, dead fish can float downstream. It takes a strong one to swim upstream. You are strong. We respect you. We need your voice. This doesn't mean that you're totally silent in the church. No. Ladies, we need your voice. We need your voice to sing up here. We need your voice to do announcements. We need your voice to do testimonies. We need your voice to prophesy. We need your voice in this church. When, when, we're, when we're gathered together trying to figure out how, how to do things, we need to hear from you. We don't want to exclude you. We want to draw you in. The ministries that you have here are many. And, and though God has said you cannot teach the authoritative word of God, in a mixed group, that's only for men. That does not preclude you from teaching. And oh, do we need you to teach? Ladies, you're called to teach other ladies. And in most churches, and I would say in this church, if we did a quick census, the majority of this church are women. And you're called to teach women. Our women's ministry, that's, that's the vision for it, is that we would teach God's word. Bringing it. Ladies, teaching ladies, ladies that are gifted, ladies that are, that are skilled in bringing the word, not just one lady or two, but several. Ladies that are able to draw out these implications, teaching the word, not as a substitute for what I'm doing right now, but to add on to it. Yes, men, we do that as well when we gather together. But ladies, that ministry is incredible. We need that. And the ministry of teaching children, what you do at home, not that the men don't teach at home, But as you teach your children at home, as you teach the children, what's going on right now in that children's ministry is not meant to take the place of parents, no, but to augment it. But when these kids see other kids that love Jesus, that are hearing the gospel, you know the effect that's having on those kids? That's the the future, ladies. That's an incredible ministry you have. Incredible. So we respect you. We love you. This church is rich because of the ladies that say, I will, I will, Lord, I will follow you. It's not about my personality. 
I can be loud and crazy and funny and, and, and all that. We want that. But in my heart, I, I'm quiet. It's kind of like the opposite. You know that picture of a duck, right? On the surface, it's like this. And underneath the surface, it's like, you know, going like that. <laughs> well, ladies, just reverse that. So on the surface, you could be, you could be wah! And I love that. Dancing, laughing, having parties. But in your soul, you know your identity's in Christ. And you're not desperate for people to like you or, or respect you or give you what you want, but you are just trusting Jesus. Be you. Yeah, you go, girl. <laughs> but, but listen, you go as one who God's conquered your heart. He's made you a different person. Be funny. We love to laugh here. But in your heart, you trust God. Do you hear me? We respect you, ladies. We need you. All right. Let's bring this thing to a conclusion. Gospel life. We're the bumper sticker. <laughs> okay? We're what people see. May God give us the grace to live out this gospel life in community. Because I tell you this, church, how we live out the gospel life, how we worship God in community, sets the trajectory for how we image Christ and how we make disciples with his gospel. Men, pray without arguing. Women, adorn yourselves with the gospel good deeds that Christ has given for you to walk in, embracing God's creation ordinances and the roles that he's given you at home, in the church, and society. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more resources or see how you can donate to this ministry, simply visit palmvista.org. And be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date with upcoming teachings. 